This is the Kings of the Ring, wrestling's first audio drama podcast. A fictional retelling of the 1980s wrestling wars, written and produced like a cable TV drama series. Kings of the Ring as a series is intended for mature audiences. Today's episode would be rated MA for profanity, drug use, strong sexual content, and graphic descriptions of violence. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kings of the Ring. Tulsa, Oklahoma, Ramada Renaissance Hotel. Michael Angel rips into the front of the hotel in his brand new 1984 red Corvette. He drives it carelessly, after all, he didn't buy it. It was given to him by a dealership back in Dallas, one of the perks of being an angel boy. He pops two quaaludes into his mouth and washes it down with what's left of his beer. He gets out and looks up at the towering luxury hotel. A young man in a red velvet suit approaches him to take his keys. Confused at first, he reluctantly hands him over, along with his beer can, and the valet hands him a ticket in return. He strides across the marble floor, suddenly feeling underdressed in his skin-tight jeans and cowboy boots. Heads turn as he passes other guests and hotel staff. His physical presence is undeniable. He just has that aura, that look, that natural star charisma. These non-wrestling fans might not know who he is, but they know he's somebody. As usual, he is oblivious to his effect on people and looks again at the hotel key and heads to the elevator. Arriving on the penthouse floor, he approaches the gold-trimmed door and inserts the key and the door opens. And there she is, the woman from the arena, now standing across the suite. She's wearing nothing but a black silk robe high heels, and bright red lipstick. She invites him in and he sees a large bed and furniture. He's never been in a hotel room this big before, but he's more focused on her. He steps in and slides his cowboy boots off as the door closes behind him and he moves forward. Michael Angel. Michael turns to the side and out from the darkness steps Julian Kane. Kings of the Ring, Episode 3, One Night in Tulsa. I apologize for the deception, but it was very important I speak to you alone. Michael's heart races. What's going on? Is this your girl? What the fuck is this? This is Sophia. She's not my girl, but she is my personal and a master at a lot of tasks. But she always gets the job done. I, I, I know you. You're Johnny Kane's kid. Julian, ain't you? Please, Michael, relax. Sophia? Sophia approaches him and gently takes him by the hand, with her other hand grazing across his broad shoulders, soothing him, and leads him to a large sofa. Have some champagne. Julian strides to the bar, pulls out a bottle from a bucket of ice, and pops it open. Sophia sits Michael down right beside her and keeps a hold of his hand. He looks at her and starts to loosen up. Julian brings each of them a glass while holding one for himself. It's Dom Perignon, only the best. Michael looks at the gold rim glass like he's never drunk champagne before. To the Ironside wrestling family and their lasting legacy. 
Julian stands over them as they clink their glasses. Sophia looks at him and drinks her glass. Michael reluctantly takes a large, unrefined gulp. He winces and scrunches his face. Sophia laughs. Ugh, I'll take a beer. Of course. Julian takes the glass from his hand and walks towards the sink. Then he stops and turns around. Or perhaps you'd like something else. On the table in front of Michael and Sophia is a large silver-domed cloche. Julian grabs the handle. Uh, I'm not hungry. With a grin on his face, Julian lifts the large silver dome to reveal not a plated meal, but an assortment of pills, joints, and cocaine already lined out. Julian sees Michael's eyes light up. Michael leans forward and helps himself as Sophia runs her fingers through his curly hair. I brought you here because I wanted to share something with you. A new idea. The world out there, our wrestling world, is changing, isn't it? Julian looks intensely into Michael's eyes. Can you feel it, Michael? When you see Michael Jackson on a billboard, drinking a Pepsi. When you pass by a teenage girl wearing a black lace glove like Madonna. Tulsa, Oklahoma, the chicken coop. Bobby Rivers is all cleaned up. He's wearing snakeskin cowboy boots, skin-tight acid-washed jeans, a Van Halen t-shirt cut off below the chest to expose his stomach, black leather fingerless gloves, his hair fully fluffed and teased with long feather earrings dangling from each side, and Ray-Ban sunglasses just like the ones Tom Cruise wore in Risky Business. In other words, there isn't a woman alive who stands a chance against this. At his side is Chris Stanley, Burt Ironside's nephew. It's crowded, it's booming, and already filled with girls. Young man turns around. Say, you're Bobby Rivers, right? Bobby barely registers and nods while he looks around for women. I love how you beat Willie Dean tonight. I hate that guy. Thanks, buddy. You here to finish him off? Bobby stops and looks at him. You know, I can't have any fun tonight knowing that sleazeball's here. Bobby looks at the bar and sees Willie Dean talking to two girls. He has his elbow resting on the bar and lets it fall with his hand in a fist. He knows Willie is simulating the size and girth of his dick. They gasp as their eyes get wide. Hey Chris, cafe. He looks at the fan. Sorry man, we stay here, there's gonna be a fight. The cops come, the place gets trashed, fans get hurt. We gotta keep our battles in the ring, know what I mean? Let's go Chris. Chris asks, uh, why didn't we stay? There wasn't going to be any fight. Bobby stops and gives a look to Chris. Get in the car. Boy, Bert wasn't ribbing when he said you were his green nephew. Chris slouches in embarrassment. Listen, brother, Bert Ironside's rule number one. Baby faces and heels do not socialize, fraternize, or any kind of eyes. Especially the day of a show. Some promoters don't even want you hanging out with a heel on a, a Tuesday afternoon at McDonald's. Why? It's all about protecting the business. Half the people at the chicken coop just saw me and Willie beat the hell out of each other. Now we're going to make them see us sipping fucking martinis 20 feet from each other and not do shit? I would look like a goddamn pussy, and then I'm worthless in the eyes of the marks. And if we belly up to the bar doing shots together, then we're exposing the damn business. Now how on God's green fucking earth could they ever believe me if I'm on TV cutting a promo threatening to break Willie's leg when half the town saw me and him shooting pool together? 
So to the fans, it becomes a joke. Now you're getting it, brother. Or worse yet, it makes them feel like goddamn fools. You don't tell your five-year-old that there's no Santa Claus and faces and heels do not sit in a bar full of marks drinking together. Too afraid to ask my uncle anything. So the chicken coop's out. Should we just go to some dive bar? I think I know where some of the other boys are going. Bubba's sinkhole. Wait a minute. So when those guys pissed in my bag, that meant they liked me? What do they do to someone they don't like? How the fuck are you Bert Ironside's nephew? My mother is Uncle Bert's sister. She met a lawyer from Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up. It's Empire State Territory. Yep. She knew I wanted to learn about the wrestling business. After college, Uncle Bert arranged for me to work for Jonathan Kane. But after Mr. Kane died, he figured he should bring me down here instead. Stick with me, brother. I'm getting you laid tonight. You just wait. Speaking of which, I'm seeing a pair of tits at 12 o'clock, and she looks like a fan of Bobby Rivers. Maybe it's that 10-pound championship belt you've got over your shoulder. Come on, let's go. No, uh, I'll stay here for a bit. Suit yourself. I think I'm gonna do a few shots while I'm at it. Bobby gets up with the belt and approaches the girls at the bar, while Chris stays at the booth, awkwardly looking around while he sips his beer. Later that night. Oh, oh. that hit the spot. Bobby Rivers is in the bathroom with one of the girls from the bar. She hikes her panties back up under her skirt as he pulls his pants up. She lays out a line of coke on the TV title belt on the sink. Come on, bitch, don't take it all. He nudges her aside and inhales a line. Bobby refluffs his hair in the mirror while she does her line. Bobby and the girl step out of the bathroom. She pushes her skirt back down while he drunkenly buckles his belt back up. and make it back to the booth where Chris and the other girl are. She says to her friend, I can't believe I just got fucked by Bobby Rivers the same night he won the TV title. Chris eagerly points out, actually Bobby just retained the belt. He was already champ. Bobby pulls the girl onto his lap, tickling her while she laughs. And he looks at Chris. Hey, this is what the business is all about. Sex, drugs, and muscles, baby. He flexes his bicep and the girl kisses it. Hey, brother Chris, get us another round of beers, would you? throws down a crumpled $10 bill. Chris walks up to the bar and signals to the bartender. He notices some of the other babyface wrestlers are at the bar too. He nods to them and they nod back. Chris pays for the pitchers and turns to take them back to the table and he sees trouble. There's a man standing over their table and he's trying to pull the girl off Bobby's lap. Chris walks over as fast as he can. The kid looks barely old enough to be in this bar. He has the sleeves cut off of a flannel shirt with jeans and a John Deere hat. He isn't huge, but is in good shape. Chris instinctively wonders if he'd have good potential as a wrestler. Baby, just fuck off. She ain't with you anymore. She's with the All-South TV champion. The young man looks down at Bobby. So you one of them fake wrestlers? You trying to get with my girl? Drunk and high, Bobby pulls himself up from the booth and gets in Andy's face. He's just a little shorter than the young man, but much thicker and wider. Get with her? I already fucked her. <laughs> what? Andy punches Bobby Rivers square in the face. He goes down like a light. Andy keeps punching him in the face over and over. Chris is frozen. He's paralyzed. The girls are screaming at him to stop as Andy pounds away at a hapless Bobby Rivers. Just then, one of the other babyface wrestlers from the bar, Tommy, 
Samoan beast comes up out of nowhere. He charges in like a bull, knocking Chris Stanley to the floor where he hits his head on the end of the chair. Tama grabs the young man from behind by the hair, pulls his head back and puts his mouth square on his nose and clamps down his teeth like a Rottweiler and completely rips off the tip of his nose and spits it out, amazingly landing right into the girl's ear. The young man clutches his face with blood squirting everywhere. The girls are screaming. Bobby Rivers is unconscious on the floor, covered in his own blood. Chris Stanley is on the floor looking up at Tama, who is in full-blown fight mode, standing above this kid, screaming like an ancient warrior, with blood all over his mouth and chin, and then tears his own shirt off. Chris is in the backseat of Leroy Brown's Cadillac, holding Bobby's near-unconscious body, while Tama, the Samoan beast, is riding shotgun. Oh my god, I can't believe what happened. I've never been in a bar fight before. Don't worry, brother. You still were. Tama lets him know. <laughs> I, I, I'm freaking out. Why are you guys freaking out? Man, because it's the same old shit. Tell him, big man. Every time, some motherfucker gotta come up to us, telling us what we do is fake, and we have to put him down hard. Because if we don't, we make the business look bad. That is the life of a wrestler. You mean nights like tonight are just like regular life? Welcome to the wrestling business, kid. Chris presses his face against the window. <laughs> Mommy, <laughs> Nigel Davies, Les Henderson, and Bob Walker's Southeast Championship Wrestling. Atlanta, Georgia, WVBS Studios. Tonight, the Omni in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Diamond Donnie Gold is behind the podium with Jay Delvo standing beside him, holding the mic to his mouth. The interview area faces the ring, which is surrounded on the other three sides by a live studio audience of wrestling fans. Donnie's long platinum blonde feathered locks are flowing. He wears a gray three-piece suit and dark sunglasses. The man who is all class, all style, in pure excellence from head to toe. Diamond Donnie Gold will be there tonight for the world's heavyweight title. The greatest rivalry in sports. Bigger than Magic and Larry? Bigger than McEnroe and Connors? Bigger than the Cowboys and the 49ers? It's Donnie Gold and Jesse James because we are the best this great sport has to offer. Fighting for the richest prize in all of wrestling, the World Heavyweight Title. And like any great rivalry, we're always looking for that edge. And I've got mine. Oh, yeah. Now, Jay, you've been watching that box, wondering all night long, what's in the box? Well, that's true. Uh, I don't know. All of these idiots out here been wondering all night what's in the box. And every fat, unemployed loser sitting on his lazy boy at home in TV land next to his ugly wife and their dumb kids have been looking at this box the entire show wondering what's in the box. Well, the time has come. Go ahead, Jay. Lift it up. Okay. Jay Delvo puts the microphone down and lifts up the medium-sized box to reveal 
a black cowboy hat. Now just a second here, Donnie, is that what I think that is? You guessed it, Jay. This is the famous cowboy hat of the outlaw Jesse James, Betty Lou. Come on now, Donnie, you know how special that hat is. The outlaw Jesse James has worn that hat for the past ten years. You need to give that back. Not a chance. And you know why? Because it belongs to me now. Donnie puts the hat on his head and steps in front of the podium, doing a dance, mocking Jesse James. Come on now, Donnie Gold. You never put on another man's cowboy hat. You know that. Just cut it out right now. Girls, have you ever seen anyone look sexier in a Stetson than the Golden Boy? Now, picture me wearing only this hat. Oh, yeah. Easy, Donnie. Donnie takes the hat off and sets it brim down on the podium. Truth is, this hat does nothing for me. But for you, Jesse James, this hat is everything. So I wonder how you would feel if I scuffed it, Donnie. Donnie picks up the hat and scrapes his diamond cufflink against the side, causing a scratch mark. Or if I spit on it. Donnie rears back and exaggeratedly brings up as much saliva and mucus as he can and spits it right on top of the hat. The camera zooms in so you can see it. You know, I've always wondered how hard, how stiff these hats are too. You know what else is stiff and hard, Jay? Donnie, easy. So let's find out. Donnie lifts the hat, then squeezes it with his hands, crumpling the top. Because, Jesse James, this is what I'm going to do to you tonight at the Omni. He steps in front of the podium and throws the hat to the floor. He raises his knee into the air and comes down, stomping the hat. He stomps it again, crushing Betty Lou, over and over again, circling the hat, crushing every inch with his dirty shoes. Just then, the outlaw Jesse James bursts into the studio from a side entrance. He's wearing a flannel shirt, jeans, and cowboy boots. And it's odd for fans to see him without his trademark hat. He looks around and spots Donnie and charges after him. Donnie runs and slides into the ring. Jesse chases right after him. Donnie slides out, running for his life. And Jesse stops as he passes by the interview area and sees his hat, letting Donnie escape. Jesse James's anger quickly turns into sorrow as he looks down at Betty Lou. He stands over his hat like a fallen friend. He looks up to the fans, as if to get emotional help from them. He slows down and falls to a knee. With his head bowed, he blinks multiple times to whip up tears, and then looks up to the heavens with eyes wide open to form those tears. He gently picks up the hat, slowly, milking it as the crowd is silent. The director cuts to crowd shots with fans with their hands cupped over their mouths in shock and sadness. Jesse stands up, carefully lifting his hat. He turns for a second and shoots a quick glance to Jay, who takes the cue. Jesse stays in front of the podium because all interviews are done behind the podium. This lets the fans know something different is happening and therefore special. Jesse pauses milking out all the drama before speaking. My daddy died when I was just a little boy. This was his hat, Betty Lou. My mama always told me I'll wear it one day when I become a man. 
my mama. She struggled to raise me and my brothers. We didn't have much. So she did what she thought was best and got married again. But the man she married was a, a cruel man, a, a mean old cuss, a true rattlesnake. He would beat me and my little brothers for nothing. He'd take us out to that woodshed and, and beat us till we bled. Then tell us he was turning us into real men. But I knew he wasn't. And then one day, when I was 13 years old, that man, that man punched my mama straight in the mouth. I can still see it now as she flew back against the wall and the pictures fell and crashed onto the floor. I ran right upstairs and grabbed my daddy's shotgun and I pointed it at that man and said, you get out of my house and out of our lives or I'm gonna take you to the woodshed. Except you ain't never coming back. He left and we never saw him again. And on that day, my mama gave me Betty Lou. The director shows more crowd shots of fans with tears streaking down their faces, completely riveted by Jesse. When I married my wife, on that day, I wore Betty Lou. When I won the WWA World Heavyweight title for the very first time, the undisputed world championship, I wore Betty Lou. And when my son was born, <gasps> he turns away to show he's overcome with emotion. There isn't a dry eye in the studio. My pride and joy. In that hospital, I put Betty Lou on my head and vowed to hand this off to him. Well, I guess I won't be giving my son this hat anymore. What's done is done, right, Jay? Jay nods somberly. So this is where I stand. A cowboy without a hat, but not without a cause. Diamond Donnie Gold, tonight in the Omni, tomorrow night in Jacksonville, and then the Ocean Center, St. Pete in Miami. I'm gonna take you out to the woodshed, but I'm not gonna make a man out of you. I'm gonna end you. And walks off. Remember folks, tickets are still available at the Omni tonight. Good night. Jesse James is with VBS announcer Jay Delvo, Diamond Donnie Gold, and Clyde the Slide Simmons of the Jivetown Express, drinking beers in the green room. How many times are you going to watch that tape, Jay? It was a great angle, Jesse. Uh, one of the best we ever did. Sold out everywhere we went that week. Well, I just remember it for being the night we were with Jack Valiant and found out about Jonathan and Julian all at the same time. I mean... Sure, there was a great angle, Jesse. I remember I just came back from Mexico City. Great time. Here's to Mexican girls. Oh, yeah. Donnie takes a big gulp from his beer. What happened with Julian Kane? Nothing to worry about. Just know that he's a snake. Besides, up there in New York, Louie and Sal can keep that boy in check. The way I look at it, he's a lot of bark and no bite. But it still makes me think. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I'll see you boys later. Uh, I'm out of here. Donnie abruptly grabs his jacket and heads out. Clyde's eyes get big as he turns to Jesse. Something you said? Uh, who knows what's going on in Donnie's head? Probably some pussy on his mind, anxious to get out like always. But I meant to ask you, Jesse, uh, I've known you a lot of years and don't remember you saying anything like that about your uh, stepdad. 
Jay, you've been in this business for decades and know the best angles and the best interviews are built off of real life. And unfortunately, the things I said about my stepdaddy were true. But he never left. He died from the drink years later. See, I never did pull that shotgun to save my brothers, to save my mama. But I wish I did. At that time, I didn't have the spine to stand up to someone like Earl, who had all the power. Christ, no one could blame you. You were just a kid. Thank you, Jay. But what I'm trying to say is, it's why I love being a wrestler. As a young boy of Vernon P. Williams, I couldn't stand up to the bullies and villains of this world. But as the outlaw Jesse James, I can and will always. Yesterday's wrestling industry and into their backyard as well and show the fans what real entertainment looks like. I have deals in place with parties nationwide to make this a reality. The only thing we're missing is you. Sophia unbuttons Michael's jeans and pulls them down to his feet. Our champion, Dan Sanders, is the shits. It's only through the strength of the territory that we survived as long as we have. Sophia starts blowing Michael, who is already hard. Michael Angel, you can be the face of the Empire Wrestling Federation. Not the Angel Brothers, not anyone else. Just look at you. You're perfect. The face of John Travolta on the body of Arnold Schwarzenegger. You can be a superstar, a celebrity. You can be my champion, the top guy. Picture your face on billboards, magazine covers, everywhere. Sophia is really going to town on Michael. She's giving him a five-star blowjob. No more being held back by being in a tag team. No more being held back by the limitations of All South Wrestling. Or your father. Just you. Come with me to New York City. The greatest city in the world. Where you can be whatever you want to be. Come with me, Michael. Are you in? Are you in? Michael Angel opens his mouth to respond. But is just about to... Uh Thank you for listening to the Kings of the Ring. If you want to hear a Talking Dead type show with a behind the scenes peek into what went into this episode, check out Breaking Kayfabe, a podcast series available on the official website for Kings of the Ring, kingsotr.com. In episode four, news of Bobby Rivers' incident at the bar makes its way back to Burt Ironside, and he's not happy. Diamond Donnie Gold gets some bad news. Charlie Gotch must once again make a decision on the future of Buddy Melrose and Thor Hansen. We finally get to meet Prince Abdullah Akbar and more of the legendary Crusher Krawcheck. All kicked off by Julian Kane dropping another bomb. An incredibly bold move that sends repercussions throughout the entire wrestling industry, all culminating in an explosive battle in Chicago as all of Julian's moves begin to take shape. It's the Chi-Town Rumble. <laughs>